And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians for a little bit. And last week I asked the question, what message are you preaching? What message are you preaching? And today I'm going to ask you the question, what message have you determined to know? First Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 2 today. Well, Father, we ask that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, illuminate the Word of God to us. You would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Hearts, Lord, that are not hardened, but hearts that are soft, open, and pliable, moldable, and shapeable. In minds, God, that would hear and receive, comprehend your word, be renewed so that we would be transformed and conformed to the image of the Son of God. We ask that you would do this by the power of your Spirit, through the power of your mighty word. God, that you would break down the barriers, the deafness and the blindness that exist in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> Let's read together the first five verses. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. This was a letter that Paul wrote. And he writes, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration. Some manuscripts actually put the word revelation there, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, we're going to... We're going to begin here today, and we're going to look at the first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And then the next couple of weeks, we're going to go through the rest of this chapter. It would be a miracle if we finished the chapter next week. Um, and so, uh, that's why I say the next couple of weeks, uh, we probably will finish this chapter. But This is very important, uh, that we understand what Paul is saying here. Now, we read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, understanding what Paul had said in the first part of his letter here. Just to help you catch the context of what Paul is, is saying here, if we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 21. In verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says that it was the wisdom of God, God's wisdom determined that the world would not know God through wisdom. Paul does this a lot. Paul kind of uses these word, you know, association things. So he's saying it was the wisdom of God that the world didn't know God through wisdom. Now you've got to understand something about Paul's audience here. 
Remember, I always say this, and this is very, very true. The Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. And to understand what Paul, the truths that Paul is communicating here, we need to understand who he's writing to and why he's writing what he's writing. So Corinth was a city in Greece. And the Greeks were a people who loved wisdom and knowledge. So if you've ever in school studied uh, philosophy or, or, heck, if you just studied history and you studied the classics and you, you know names like Plato and Aristotle, much of our Western thought, our Western culture has been shaped by these two men, the way we think, the way we reason. Um, and so this was, this was who Paul is writing to. This is who he's dealing with. They were all about wisdom. They were all about, give me a, a reasonable, a logical argument. You go through point by point and tell me why I should believe this. This is kind of the way they operate. It's the way their minds worked. And so Paul makes this really contrary statement. And it's not contrary to us because we're living in 21st century America and we read these scriptures and we interpret the scriptures according to our understanding. Let me tell you something that is very, very important for us to understand. If we read the scripture and interpret the scripture based on our understanding, our own understanding, we will miss the truth. We have to resist the temptation to believe the Scripture based on our own understanding, what our culture tells us, what we want to believe, what we've been conditioned to believe. We've got to let the Scripture communicate what the Scripture is communicating. Otherwise, we're going to believe a lie. Only the truth will set us free. Do you believe this Bible is wholly inspired by God? Yes, it is. I'm going to tell you what, your English translation is not inspired by God. It's what is behind your English translation. So I, I've got a Bible that's got a typo in it. Does that, mean, does that mean God doesn't know how to spell? No, it means the people who typeset my Bible made a mistake. So when we say the Scripture is infallible, I'm not saying there, there might not be a mistake in your... English translation. I'm saying what this came from, the inspired, holy, breathed word of God, that this was translated from, that word is infallible. That's why we've got to resist the temptation to read the scripture based on our 21st century American understanding and let the scripture interpret the scripture. And if it breaks down our 21st century American understanding, then, then so be it. We have to be willing to let the Scripture do what it is intended to do, and that's to set us free from lie and deception. And so Paul comes to these Greeks, and they want him to come and present this eloquent, reasoned, logical presentation of why they should believe in Jesus. And he wants them to equip them to be able to go out to other Greeks and do the same thing. And Paul says, hey guys, it was the wisdom of God that the world through wisdom can't know God. It pleased God that through foolish, 
through the foolishness of the message preached to save some, to save those who believe. The Jews want a sign. Show us a miracle and we'll believe. No, you won't. The Jews want wisdom. Just tell us why we logically should believe this and we'll believe it. No, you won't. Paul says that's what the Jews want. That's what the Greeks want. But we, the believers, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block. That's not the sign they were looking for. To the Greeks, foolishness doesn't make sense. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Why did God choose to do it this way? Verse 29 tells us that no flesh should glory in His presence. Where is wisdom? Christ is our wisdom. Christ is our redemption. Christ is our sanctification. Christ is everything we need. He is everything to us. And so, Paul goes on. He says, and I, brethren... When I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech. I didn't come with a slick argument, ready to debate you, ready to present my points of logic as to why you should believe, like you Greeks want me to. I didn't come with the wisdom of the world declaring to you the testimony of God. He said, that's not how I came to you. He says, in fact, this is how I came to you. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. I came to you determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When Paul says, I was with you in weakness, fear, and much trembling, listen, that's the way his presentation, that's the way the gospel sounded to these Greeks. It didn't make sense to them. It sounded like foolishness. It sounded like weakness. Paul said, that's, that's the way I came to you on purpose. So the message that we should determine to know is the same message Paul says he determined to know. The message that we should determine to know is the message of the cross. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because the message of the cross is the power of God to salvation. The message of the cross is the gospel. Romans 1.16, Paul says, The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul goes on, he says, In my speech... And my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So the message of the cross transcends and it overcomes human weakness. If we read the, the New Testament 
epistles of Paul, we find out that Paul, evidently, his demeanor was not, he wasn't like a real powerful person physically. He had a chronic eye condition. One of his letters, he says, I know you guys would take your own eyes out and give them to me if you could. He was, he, he would have no doubt been considered legally blind today. He had to have someone write his letters for him because he literally was just about blind. And he'll say, see with what large letters I sign my name. He would do that sometimes, but he couldn't just sit down and write a letter like you or I could. He had to have someone do it for him. And so a lot of people thought, this is the great Apostle Paul. God can't even see. He's, he just doesn't look like a very powerful person. But here's what Paul is saying. The power is not in me. The power is not in you. The power is not in man's strength. The weakness of God is stronger, more powerful than the strength of men. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. He said, I didn't come to you in strength and in power and in wisdom. I came to you in fear and in trembling and in weakness. Why? That your faith should, should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He said, I came in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So the message of the cross transcends and overcomes human weakness. It overcomes our weakness. You say, well, I can't talk very good. I'm not real persuasive in my, you know, I'd never make it as a salesman. Listen, Paul didn't come as a salesman. He came as a witness. God didn't call you to be a salesman for him. He calls you to be a witness for him. This isn't about how well you can speak or how eloquent your speech is or how much Bible you know. Listen, if you know the very basics, the very, very, very basics of the gospel, if you can point people to the cross of Christ, if you can point people to the sinfulness of man and the redemption that's in the cross of Christ, if you can point them away from themselves and away from you and away from the wisdom of men and the wisdom of this world and point them to the cross of Christ, I'm telling you what, the power of God is in that message and it will change and transform hearts. It's not in how well you're able to deliver it. It's not in how passionate or how good you can talk. It's what you're talking about. It's what you're saying. The message of the cross transcends and overcomes human wisdom. If you think that you've got to be prepared to get into a debate with somebody and convince them why God is real, and then give them all the points scientifically, historically, archaeologically. If you can do that, great. But even if you can do that and do it very well, no one's going to believe. No one's going to come to faith because you convince them of an intellectual argument. And if, you, and if they do, they don't really have faith in God. They just have faith in an intellectual argument, which means the first intellectual argument that comes along that makes more sense to them than the one you gave them, guess what? They're going to be talked out of faith. And this is what Paul is saying. This is not how I came to you. This is not the message that I brought to you. In our weakness, we're like the Jews. We seek a sign. We want something tangible or something real that I can touch that's going to compel me to believe. And we say things like, if God would just do a miracle, I know that. No, 
No. You won't and they won't. How do we know? Because Jesus said, even if one come back from the dead, if they didn't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe even though one returned from the dead. I mean, we have this romantic notion. If we just, if, if my friends and family could just witness a resurrection of someone raised up from the dead, I know they'd believe. No, they wouldn't. Jesus was resurrected from the dead and they still don't believe. In our weakness, we want a sign like the Jews did. In our human wisdom, we seek to be persuaded. Give me an argument. Give me a reason why I should believe. I've had people tell me that before. Pastor, if you could just give me a reason to believe. If you could just convince me. Tell me why I should believe. And if you, if you don't. If you don't know already why you should believe, then there's nothing I'm going to be able to say that's going to convince you except pointing you to the cross. It may sound like foolishness to you if you're perishing. It will sound like foolishness to you. But in that message of the cross is the power of God to save those who are perishing. So this doesn't mean that God doesn't use signs or wonders or that we reject wisdom or logic or persuasion in our speech, but it does mean that ultimately those things will not bring someone to faith in Christ. If you have come to believe because of what you see or feel or touch, then what you see or experience can also destroy your faith. Have you ever... I've encountered a number of people like this. Have you ever encountered someone who just never went through anything challenging in their life? And they just seem like everything they touched turned to gold. They had the nice house, the nice car, the nice family. Just not a care in the world. And all of a sudden it's like the world they knew just got turned upside down. And they just encountered trial and tribulation and, and loss And now, their faith in God that was so strong, it's not there anymore. You know why? Because their faith in God was in what they could see or feel or touch. See, this was the accusation the devil made against Job. This is what Satan told God. He said, you know, Job only serves you because you're so good to him. Because... You bless him. You've given him lots of things. You've made him rich. He's got a nice house, a nice car, a nice family, lots of land, lots of possessions. He, he doesn't have a care in the world. Who wouldn't believe in you if you, if you did that for him? God says, well, well, we'll see. He said, go ahead. You can do anything you want to him, but you can't take his life. You can go ahead and read the book. It was so bad. Job's wife said, why don't you just go ahead and die? You are pitiful, man. You just need to die. Pass on. At the end of the story, you read the book of Job. The Bible says Job didn't sin. He didn't transgress against God. He didn't curse God. Matter of fact, Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. 
He blessed the name of the Lord. Did he have questions? Oh, he had some questions for God. God answered his questions, uh, probably not in the way Job was hoping, but he answered his questions. And God says, who are you, Job? Where were you when I created heaven and earth? Where were you when... And that's not God saying, don't ever question me. But that's God declaring the reality of who he is. And if our faith is only in what we can feel, what we can see, what we can touch, some argument that someone gives us that convinces us to believe because it sounds logical, or I'm in a moment of desperation and, well, I've tried everything else, might as well try God. Those don't work. Because that's not faith by the demonstration and the power of the Spirit. If you've been persuaded into belief, you can be persuaded out of belief. So when Paul declares this, he declares how he came to the Corinthians, not in the manner accustomed to or preferred. Matter of fact, the way Paul is talking to them, the way Paul is presenting this to them is really not the preferred method. Though Paul was more than able, he was very well educated, he was very well trained. But he didn't give them what they wanted, he gave them what he knew would set them free. He didn't come to them with words of persuasion or human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? That their faith would be not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So your faith, church, must not be in the power of men's speech or the power of men's arguments or the power of men's wisdom. Your faith must be in the power of God. So what does it mean to have your faith in the power of God? This is an important question. What is Paul saying when he makes this statement? Having faith in the power of God does not mean, listen... It does not mean that I take my faith and place it in God's power. That's not what that means. When we read that, that your faith would be in the power of God, at least I'm going to speak for myself. That's the tendency of how I read that scripture. So my thought process is this. When I read the words of the Apostle Paul that says, I didn't come in that way, I came knowing only the cross of Christ, so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, my thought process is this. Oh, I need to take my faith and put it in the power of God. That's not what that is communicating to us. That's not what that means. Having faith in the power of God doesn't mean that I take my faith and place it in God's power. Having faith in the power of God means that faith originates from God's power. Faith is sustained by God's power, and faith overcomes by God's power. This is what Paul says when he says that it would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul didn't want men's faith to be based on the winning argument, but in the demonstration of the Spirit. We're not called to be salesmen, remember. We're called to be witnesses. So this word demonstration spoke of a certainty. 
That's why some of the manuscripts use the word revelation. This isn't something that we do. Because here, this is the argument Paul is making. He's not saying, look, I'm not presenting door number one, door number two, door number three. Let's open them all up, and I want you guys to decide where you're going to put your faith. No. Paul says, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I am coming not to convince you. I'm coming to proclaim something. I'm not coming to sell you on something. I'm coming to witness to you the power of Christ. The cross of Christ and what that cross implies. And so this word demonstration spoke of a certainty based on the power of God's spirit. It was, it was a method of argument. He's contrasting what the Greeks were used to, what they wanted. Just, just give us a logical argument, Paul, and we'll decide whether we're going to believe or not. He says, no, that's not how it works. I'm going to proclaim the message of the cross, the message of Christ and Him crucified, and the demonstration of the power of God is going to be your faith. We're going to know God moved and God's Spirit, the power of His Spirit worked because of your faith. That is the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. It's not the winning argument, but the powerful work of the Spirit that births faith in the hearts of men through the seemingly foolish message of the cross. And Paul is like, you guys think, you Greeks think this is a foolish message. This idea that, that you need to lay down your life, this idea that you need to be crucified with Christ, this, I, this whole idea it seemed like foolishness to them. But Paul says, what you think is foolishness is in reality the wisdom of God. Think about just, think about the advent of Christ. Think about Christ coming. Here the world is ruled by the most powerful empire to date. The Roman Empire. The fulfillment of these visions that Daniel had hundreds of years prior. The world is ruled by Rome, this massive, powerful empire that had brought peace to the world through an iron fist. And the Jews were waiting for their Messiah to come to restore the kingdom, to fulfill the promises. And if their Messiah was going to restore the kingdom and fulfill the promises, he was going to have to be one powerful Messiah to overthrow this powerful Roman empire that had conquered the known world. And how did God do it? God sent a baby. Now, we watched The Hobbit last night. It made me think about what Gandalf said. Did you guys catch this? Gandalf said, Suriman thinks that evil is going to be defeated by, by power. He said, I don't believe that. Ask, why did you choose a hobbit? The most unlikely character because Gandalf says I don't think evil's going to be overcome through great power it's not going to look the way we think it's going to look Tolkien's writing that and you can't help but know that Tolkien is communicating a truth that, that he believes at his very core the same reason 
God didn't send a conquering king on a white horse to overthrow a Roman Empire with armies of angels coming behind him. He sent a baby in a manger. The most innocent and frail and weak form of life, if we can say that, a baby. But yet the coming of that baby, the birth of that baby, brought about the overthrow of not just that kingdom, but all kingdoms. Do you realize that? Do you realize that, church? We're, we're worried here. We're losing sleep. There are people losing sleep over Iran and North Korea and, and all of these things. I'm telling you what, the kingdom of God has already overthrown all of those kingdoms. They're all overthrown. And whatever kingdom that may ra- rise up in the future that we don't even know the name of right now, it has already been overthrown by the kingdom of God. The message of the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus has assured that, has sealed that. It is an accomplished fact. So this term, demonstration of the Spirit and of power, was much more than external signs and wonders. Do you know that? enemy can even perform signs and wonders. Read the book of Revelation. Read the Bible. Read read Exodus. Everything Moses did, guess what? The Egyptian magicians did the same thing. Oh, your, your stick can become a snake, so can ours. Oh, you can make water into blood, so can we. And they can do that to a point and deceive men, but if that's what we're looking for. Paul says, no, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking at something more powerful than that. It's the unseen, listen church, it's the unseen work of the Spirit in the hearts of men bringing about a heart conversion and a transformation from death to life, from darkness to light, from Adam to Christ. It matters little, listen, how excellent, how animated, how exciting, or how dull our speech is if we are preaching the gospel. God's power is present not in the speaker, but in the word spoken. Are you hearing me? God's not present through your ability to speak powerfully or to witness powerfully. God is present in the power of His word. It's the internal and the unseen work of the Spirit that ultimately manifests in faith and a life transformed. This is the demonstration of the Spirit and the power Paul speaks of. That's why if you read this letter, all the letter, that we like we don't do, we pick it apart and we put parts on our refrigerator and we put parts on our bumpers. We don't read the whole letter. This is why Paul, in the complete letter, goes on And he disciplines the Corinthian church for their abuse of the gifts. He said, your gifts and your ability to manifest supernatural gifts means absolutely nothing. Because you have no fruit in your life. And if you don't have fruit in your life, you don't have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you don't have love, you can have faith that moves mountains. You can know all the mysteries. You can prophesy till the cows come home. But it doesn't mean anything Because it's just 
the flesh. Well, their spiritual gifts are all right, but they're just operating out of the flesh. God's not interested in how well we can operate out of the flesh. How do we know that? Read Matthew 7. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not perform signs and wonders? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not prophesy in your name? And he says, I will say to you, depart from me, you lawless ones, for I do not know you. Where's your faith, church? What message have you determined to know? Are you trusting in what you can see and what you can do? Are you trusting in what only the Spirit can do that is unseen? Do you believe He's working in you right now? You look at your neighbor right now. Do you see the Spirit working in them? You don't see the Spirit working in them, but I promise you He is. He's working in you right now. Whether you know it or not, whether you see it or not, and you don't see it, but He is working in you. Right now, he is never not working. So we don't have faith in God because men have convinced us with persuasive speech or by what we see or feel or touch. This is what the Scripture is declaring to us. This is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians here. We have faith in God ultimately because God's power through the Spirit has brought us into faith through the message of the cross, through the power of the gospel. I believe this. I believe there are a lot of people who are going to stand before God one day and they're going to feel really good about their lives until How do we know that? This is exactly what the scripture warns us of. So faith, listen, we have faith in God ultimately because God's power has worked through us, has brought us into faith through the message of the cross. So our faith rests in the power of God, not in the wisdom of men. We owe the origin of our faith not to the wisdom of men, not to the wisdom of man, but to the power of God. Faith, trust, belief, these are all interchangeable words. To have faith means you trust God. You believe in God. Listen, the devil believes in God. Do you know that? People say, oh, I believe in God. Oh, well, okay, you're, you're going to heaven then. No, the devil believes in God too. He's not going to heaven. You got me? That's not what faith means. Faith doesn't mean I have mental assent to the knowledge that God is real. No, faith means that I have laid my life down... Faith means that I recognize that I have nothing and I have been crucified with Christ and, and my only hope and my only trust and my only belief now is in the God, the only God who can save me. And that faith is the manifestation of God's power. That is the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. It is faith manifest in your life. It's you going through a Job experience and not losing your faith, not throwing your faith out because what you could see, feel, or touch suddenly has been taken away from you. 
It's not you suddenly believing in another religion or another belief system because someone came to you, knocked on your door and made a more logical argument about what you should believe and put your faith in. If they can do that to you, then you never had real faith to begin with. Because your faith didn't come because you picked door number two and door number two was the right door. Faith came by the demonstration and the power of the Spirit. That means it was the unseen work of the Spirit bringing about a conversion and a transformation in your heart. And the demonstration, the manifestation of that is your faith in God. And the Bible says if you've got that faith, that faith is going to last, honey, till the very end. You're not going to lose it. You're not going to reject it. You will persevere to the end. Why? Because faith overcomes. This is what John writes. Go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Are you born of God? 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He who has overcome, he who overcomes the world, who is he who overcomes but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Not just logically, intellectually believes. But something has happened in your heart. Your heart has been changed. Not because it makes sense to you. Not because it's the most appealing message. But because it's truth. And when your eyes were open to the truth and your ears were open to the truth, something happened in your heart. And you were changed. John says, this overcomes the world. And who is it that gives you the power to overcome the world? It is God who does. When you were born of God, you were born to overcome. Do you realize that, Christian? When you're born again, when you're born of the Spirit, you're born again to overcome. To overcome what? To overcome everything. Yeah, but you know, I'm having a really rough time financially right now. Listen, you may never be rich in this world. But that has nothing to do with whether you overcome or not. Yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm really battling in my body with this sickness and this disease. I can't seem to overcome it. Listen, I'm telling you what. You may or you may not. My encouragement to you is pray and believe and stand in faith that God will heal you right here and right now on this earth. But listen, if he does not, your healing is already a done deal. You won't be sick in heaven. You won't suffer in heaven. Matter of fact, the Bible says our ultimate hope is not just going to heaven. Our ultimate hope is that one day we will be changed. That our bodies, as we know them now, they are going to perish. But God is going to give to us, provide for us a new body, a glorified body. Without sickness, without limitation. No side effects. You won't even have to take any drugs to feel good. That's your, that's your hope. That's the promise God's made to you. 
Your faith in that cannot be dependent upon what you can feel, see, and touch on this earth right now. If it is, you're open to be deceived. That, what I just said to you, really, logically, scientifically, the way we think in our Western culture, that just doesn't even make sense. I'm going to get a glorified body one day? What in the heck does that mean? What, what do you mean? How does that happen? Can you explain that to me scientifically, the process that's going to take place for me to get a glorified? No, I can't. I can't explain that to you. I wouldn't even begin to know how to explain that to you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Oh, the Bible. Oh, yeah, you believe that, right? Yeah, I do. Come on, man. We're living in the 21st century. You still believe the Bible? Yeah, I do. Oh, that's foolishness. Yeah, it is to a lot of people. Where's your faith? What have you determined to know? Our faith rests in the power of God, not the wisdom of men. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The message of the cross transcends and overcomes your human weakness. The message of the cross transcends and overcomes your human wisdom. That God says really is not wisdom anyways. The message of the cross transcends and overcomes all. So that your faith is in the power of God, not in the wisdom of men. Preach the gospel, church. Live the gospel. Don't be afraid of the gospel. Don't be afraid of how foolish the gospel sounds. I know it sounds foolish. Paul knew it sounded foolish. He's writing this letter to this church knowing that many people that read it are going to say that guy is the biggest fool in the world to believe that. But Paul also wrote that letter knowing that it was the message of the cross. It was the message of Christ Jesus crucified on a cross that would powerfully touch Change and transform hearts. Paul didn't care about those who thought it was foolishness. I'm not saying he didn't want them to be saved. I'm saying he didn't change his message, modify his message, because some people were going to think it was foolish. He understood that. He witnessed to the truth. Paul, it wasn't Paul's place to decide how God would bring salvation. We might all say, you know what? If, it, if we were king of the universe, we might have done things differently, but we're not. So what are we called to be? We're called to be witnesses. Witnesses to what? Witnesses to what God has done. Witnesses to what He has declared. Witness to His message, not ours. So we proclaim His message. And his message is powerful to save. Amen? Let's all stand. So don't be afraid to proclaim his message. Don't worry about how well you can communicate it.
first thing you need to do is get in this book and, and let it get into your heart. And let it get into your soul. And let it transform you. Then what's in you is going to come out. If the truth is in you, the truth's going to come out. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Fill your heart abundantly with His truth. And that's what will come out of you. Father, we pray today that you would do just that. Lord, we take just a moment and we quiet our hearts and we quiet our minds. We ask you, God, to speak to us by your word, by your gospel, by the message of the cross. Convict our hearts, God. Encourage our hearts, God. Strengthen our hearts in faith, God. Father, I pray that you would deliver us from the fear of man. That we would be fearful of what men would think. Pray, God, that you would, through the power of your Spirit, make us bold and powerful witnesses to you. Lord, give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Give us a desire for your word. That we would grow in the knowledge of the truth. That we would grow in the knowledge of Christ and of the grace of God. And that when we open our mouth, God, from our heart, from our inmost being would flow rivers of living water. For those that are dry and thirsty without the knowledge of Christ who is the living water. Use us for your glory, God. Help us to walk every day sensitive to your leading. You would lead us to people, to friends, to families, to neighbors. To reach out to them with the love of Christ. To be a witness in word and in deed of the glorious gospel of Jesus. Use us, God, in this city. We pray for the church in Taylor. All the churches, God. Pray for churches, leaders, and the congregations, that your word would go forth, that we would unashamedly preach and teach and live and walk out this gospel, that you would saturate this community with truth and that you would be glorified in it. Father, thank you for each one here. Bless them, Lord. Thank you for the rain. Send more, Father, we pray. We lift up Roland and Nadine to you today and just pray, God, a special prayer and special grace over their lives. I lift up Richard Masters, Lord, and his family, immediate and extended, as he saw his mother go to her eternal reward. And Father, we pray peace, Lord, over those that may still be struggling with the reality of her departure. I just pray, God, you would give them and all that have suffered loss comfort and the peace of the Holy Spirit. 
Make it, Lord, be something that would bring us more and more aware of the ultimate hope and the ultimate promise that we have. That you have defeated death. And Lord, death has no hold on us. But our destiny and our hope is eternal life, resurrection life in the Son of God. And we thank you for that. We praise you for it. We give you glory for it. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. God bless you. Have a great day. And uh, we'll see you Wednesday. This Wednesday, we're going to start going through the book of John. And we're going we're gonna to go verse by verse through the gospel of John. John is a great book, a fascinating book. If you can at all come out and make it on Wednesday nights. Uh, we, we have dinner together at 6 o'clock. Just bring a brown bag or bring something. We all eat together. And, um, um, and then at 7 o'clock, we will do the study. We're going to begin the Gospel of John. So, bless you.